you know, I just sense that the Lord does want to, I suppose some people say, release his word. Um, proclaim. You know, proclaim. Mm. I mean, when I think of the, the Apostle Paul uh, writing <clears throat> and... I mean, he, he just, he wrote to 30, 40, 50 people, uh, like, say, the letter to the Ephesians. Uh, it's unlikely that there were more than 80 to 90 people in in the church in Corinth, hmm. um, though it had a great impact, of course, on the city. Um, and yet, just to think how the, the the riches of the Lord's word and do you know <clears throat> I, I think you, you will know the statement that was made I think it was by a Baptist minister was he that the Lord has yet more light to shed upon his holy word um who was that one of the pilgrim fathers wasn't it and um you know how God wants to enlighten us and he wants to bring us into the fullness. I'm going to begin because you know that we're in the chapters 12, 13 and 14 of 1 Corinthians. But I want to begin with a psalm and just to read out a verse or two from Psalm 36. Um which is a very beautiful psalm. Mm. Um, many of you will know it, but we used to sing a chorus mm. uh, based on verses 7 uh, and 8 and 9. But verse 7 of, of Psalm 36 begins like this. How precious yes, is your loving kindness, O God. Therefore, the children of men put their trust under the shadow of your wings. They are abundantly satisfied with the fullness of your house. And you give them drink from the river of your pleasures. With, for with you is the fountain of life. In your light, we see light. Very, very wonderful words. And, of course, when I read the Old Testament, um, I read the Old Testament from the New. Uh, I think I learned to do that um, a long, long while ago. Uh, I'm also conscious that uh, many Christians or many in the churches do the opposite. They read the New Testament from the Old. And so they're constantly interpreting things in the New Testament in an old, for instance, um, the way music is in the church, uh, in many churches, is actually fundamentally based on the Old Testament. So they read into the New Testament, Old Testament practices. Uh, I well remember when I was first in India, in uh, Mumbai, Bombay, it was called, in those days where I was uh, among a group of churches that were out of New Zealand and they were their whole meetings 
were constructed on David's tabernacle idea, which you remember David's tabernacle, the Old Testament, David's musicians, 288 musicians, all kinds of things like that. And um, the place, and it was, you know, something that, well, just wouldn't have worked in Poland when first we were in Poland and East Germany and Czechs, Czechoslovakia, as it then was in those countries. It just wouldn't have worked. You couldn't possibly have had David's Tabernacle and loud music and all that there. But I found from early, so I read these verses, you know, about the children of men put their trust under the shadow of your wings. And I read those from the New Testament. And, and I think immediately of the household of God, the household of faith, the people living in his assembly in the Old Testament, under the shadow of your wings, of course, um, lifted up the whole idea of the tabernacle, of the holiest of all, of the the cherubim spreading out their wings, of the atoning blood sprinkled on the mercy seat, of peace with God that was known in those days. And, and they put their trust under the shadow of his wings. And then when I read the next verse, they are abundantly satisfied with the fullness of your house. And, and I read that, say, from what Paul is trying to minister to the people as he's writing his first letter uh, to the Corinthians. He's wanting them to uh, become satisfied with much more than they're in at that time. Uh, he wants them to be satisfied with the fullness of the Lord's house. There's a fullness. So when Paul is writing about the church gathering, about the saints of God living together in harmony, um, when he's writing about all these things we call the gifts of the Spirit and the ministries of the Spirit, he's, he's talking about the fullness of the house that we can know. Um, what we can know, uh, to, to be given the drink, to drink from the river of your pleasures, and, you know, with you is the fountain of life. And Paul is he's wanting to help the Corinthians get out of their self-made, um, limited view, limited experience, limited uh, gatherings of, you know, when they gathered, need I say these things, but I want to give some sort of idea of what was what had taken place in Corinth. Um, we've alluded to it before, but their background, of course, was a background where half of them would have been very philosophical. They they loved, you know, to talk. If you know, it's one of the things I learned in India. It's ever so easy to enter into uh, 
conversations, say on a train, interminably long train journeys. And if there are any people speaking English, it, it's ever so easy because they love to talk religion. They love to talk about metaphysical things, about about the unseen, about the gods and that sort of thing, about spirit things. Ever so easy to have conversation with them. And of course, the Corinthians came from a background where some of them had been in the schools of various philosophers, teachers, and prided themselves on their knowledge and wisdom. Now put that into your thinking as you read in the first letter of Corinthians about how Paul takes up the theme of wisdom and knowledge. And he says it's it's in gee, Christ is made unto us. He talks about the wisdom of God being Christ and him crucified. And that's how he he, he seeks to bring them away from their preoccupations with things that pandered to their pride you know i'm of i'm of i'm of you understand that had been in their background that before ever paul came on the scene uh when they were still following pagan religions or teachers and that sort of thing the i'm of i'm of i'm of would have been in their whole thinking. Oh, what philosopher, what teacher do you go to? What person, you see? And I'm of, oh, I'm of, you know, I'm of. And that would have been there. And Paul says, now, don't bring this spirit with you into the church here in Corinth. Um, Corinth was like a supermarket of belief systems. Um, you know, just what do you prefer? What suits you? Well, I like Quaker Oats. Oh, I like sort of some other muesli or something. Um, you know, and uh, and the other th thing, they were used to ecstasy. Um, so some of them would have sat under prophets, experienced um, ecstatic gatherings where prophets spoke and prophetesses spoke, where there was wizards that peeped and muttered out of the ground, bringing esoteric messages and this kind of thing. And so they would have been people getting the used to people getting the shakes, going into trances, getting into ecstasies in order to deliver their messages. And they would have been very fascinated, some of them, with the dynamics of the extraordinary. Um, now, all of this explains some of that which, in their pride, they had gotten into in their corporate gatherings, the I'm of, Paul, I'm of, and then this sort of search for knowledge and pride of wisdom, and also the way that they had become fascinated with the gift of tongues, that they all spoke in tongues, that it seems from what Paul is doing in his corrective uh, ministry, 
he's saying to them, look, you're not living in the fullness of the house. You're not living in the fullness. He does allude in verse in chapter one, if you turn into the Corinthian letter into chapter one, he does commend them for the fact that they come behind in no gift. He says that to them, doesn't he? That evidently in their earlier days, they had definitely experienced verse 7, chapter 1, that you come short in no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord, Jesus Christ. Um, I hope that you notice the way I just said that. Um, Our Lord, Jesus Christ. Um, We tend to say Lord Jesus Christ. But really the way Paul is writing uh, again and again, and if you look in chapter 1 there, um, waiting for the revelation of our Lord, Jesus Christ. Now our Lord is Jesus Christ. That's our Lord. And um, then verse 8, who will confirm you to the end that you may be be blameless in the day of our Lord, uh, Jesus Christ. Uh, I mean, I think of these things at times when I catch a glimpse of, say, a playback of Glastonbury Festival, um, you know, where the people are worshipping their Lord, who's having his day or if it's Neil Diamond come back in 2006 or where it was, you know, um, you know, they've gone to see the day of their Lord. It's, <laughs> you understand, to, because these people are lords to, uh, to folks. They're gods. And, but our Lord, they're blameless in the day of our Lord. Jesus Christ and of course there is going to be the day of our Lord Jesus Christ when every eye shall see him and every knee shall bow the one rejected now shall be uh, worshipped then by an innumerable host and then you've got to get it's again in verse 9 if you look God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And it's a verse that is a very precious one, that we're called into fellowship with our Lord. I I think of these things, perhaps I'm a bit odd, you know, but, uh, you know, I sometimes, one of the things that I always um, wanted Uh, would have liked to do, put it this way, Uh, I would have liked to have gone to hear Tony Bennett singing um, with, uh, you know, say, um, Bill Evans playing the piano. Some of you never heard of him. doesn't matter, or those two men. Bill Evans was a a jazz pianist, and, of course, uh, Tony... Bennett was one of those men 
who all the singers would go and listen to um, because of his sheer voicing and brilliance and phrasing and all the rest of it. And sometimes I could sit there and uh, listen in earlier days to their music and I could hear the chord shifts and uh, what was happening in the sounds and where they were going. And, you know, in a funny kind of way, I had a little bit of musical fellowship <laughs> with the with this the, these people, you know, um, a little bit of fellowship. And you might think it's a bit odd to talk that way. But, of course, it's very pertinent. You see, he's, God has called us into fellowship with his son. I hope, for instance, that you're turning off uh, the news at times where, you know, the reporters start to bend the truth and where this happens and that happens and where I, I hope there are things on the TV you no longer want to become involved with um, because that's not what your spirit wants to fellowship with. You understand? We're called into the fellowship of his son. God has called us. Jesus Christ, our Lord. Um, now, Tony Bennett, don't misunderstand me. At no time did Tony Bennett and Bill Evans become my Lord. I just love music. But for some people, of course, Queen was their Lord, Freddie Mercury and so on. Are you understanding? And, you know, the, it's the constant pressure that comes upon God's people is the breaking of fellowship first with the Lord the impairing of fellowship the impairing of our hearing the anything to do that and one of the purposes of the precious gifts of the spirit in all of their multiplicity is to build us up so that we are not impaired, that our hearing is not impaired, our understanding is not impaired, that there is a lavish flow of good things from God to strengthen, to renew, to rebuke, to encourage the fainting, the weary, to feed the young, that the bread should be broken in large pieces to those who could take that and into small pieces for those who are babes. It is possible that in an ideal gathering of God's church, there can be something for everyone. Everyone, from the babe to those that are older in the Lord. It's quite possible um, if we live in the fellowship with the Lord. 
into which we've been called. And, you know, when I go, so keep these things in mind that the dear Corinthian Christians had allowed themselves to become uh, squelched down. And it seems that their meetings had become schismatic. Um, the rich, the poor, the... Do we all realise that probably the largest house that they could have met in, in Corinth, could have possibly taken no more than 90 people at the maximum? Um, that's important that we grasp that. And not only so, there would have been no room in those large houses of the wealthy that could have taken any more than about 50 people. Now, chapter 10 and 11 tell us that they ate together, that their meetings including included eating together. And so some of the people, of course, would have had to eat. If let's say there were 70 people and the room only took 40 or 45, some of the people would have had to have sat out in the atrium so they weren't in the main room so there was a, a natural uh, shall i say practical reasons why some were eating their nice meals out in the atrium whereas the poor had nothing inside am i painting a picture here for us that we we want to now the spirit of god can overcome these things if we let him We've got to get bigger than geography. We've got to get bigger than architecture. We've got to get bigger, much bigger. We were meeting this afternoon uh, in a in a old medieval Anglican church, thirteenth century, beautiful building. In the old, old style, imagine it. Um, I mean, I love those sorts of buildings, but we're all sitting there on these little cramped pews, you know, uh, hard as nails on your rear end. And we're all sort of sitting there and it's cold because the place is like an ice box. And uh, we're sitting there for an hour and a half and we all forgot to stand up. Mark did exhort us to stand up, but we all forgot. I think we all got a bit excited with the meeting. I hope we did anyway. But everything vitiates against participation. It, it vitiates, it divides. You know, you had one family over there and another family over there and everyone's, you know, and and so on. Uh, remarkably, the acoustics are quite good in the building, by the way. And um, anyway, you know, the, the fact of the matter is there is a fullness that the Spirit can bring us into. That's what Paul's writing about. He's not giving us some neat doctrines of the gifts of the Spirit is this and 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 this. In fact, it's so sweet the way that he writes, you see. Um, 
He wants them to get away from this narrow concept their meeting had turned into. They were excited by the ecstatic. They were excited by the shakes. They were excited by the idea of, you know, this kind of thing, because that was their background. And so they'd really gotten into a lot of tongues speaking. And I have to say to you that I have been in meetings where we have spent the first 20 meetings, uh, sorry, 20 minutes of the meeting, where we're all told to stand up and speak in tongues together. And so everybody stands up in obedience because that's their uh, tradition, that's the way they do it, and they believe that this is going to chase the devils away and, you know, the oppression out of the room. And these weird ideas that often are based on something that happens so wonderfully spontaneously. Yes, because I have been in meetings where people sang in tongues and it was virtually angelic, where you had two, three, four hundred people and it was it was wonderful, pure. And I think of, um, well, there are many things I could... I could talk about in those ways. But you see, this tendency among us human beings, even in the church, that what comes spontaneously, we try and reproduce in the power of the flesh. And that's why I say to you, we must have at least these two things in our minds. We must be people who are ready to move with God spontaneously, uh, freely, without fear. And we also must be those who are determined that everything be done unto edification. See, I believe that the church, the charismatic church of today, or churches is in their gatherings together are not unlike the Corinthians. Only it's not uh, 50 minutes or an hour of talking in tongues altogether like in Corinth. It's 50 minutes of uh, continuous repetitive singing of three choruses or four choruses. And the net result of the meeting is that amount of edification. Just a thimbleful at best. Maybe some emotional release. And there are other churches, of course, if you think of another thing, where instead of the riches, I I guess the... Anglican Church that we were in today, their normal meetings where the Book of Common Prayer was there on the pews and the hymns ancient and modern. And I guess their services would be quite traditional and they would go through the prayer book service and everything 
and the whole realm of spontaneity and freshness is gone. Um, Serious, isn't it, when you think this? Because, of course, Paul is moving in in another dimension. He's he's in the fullness Mm. of the Lord's house. He himself was an apostle, we know. He himself tells us that he spoke in tongues more than all of the Corinthians, but not when they were gathered together. Not then. Not then. So they thought they were great tongue speakers. They loved the ecstatic. And you see, Paul is walking correctively. He's writing correctively, lovingly. He's writing to them. You see, he, he says things. Verse 18 of chapter 14. I thank God, I thank my God, I speak with tongues more than you all. I speak with tongues more than you all. I I hope that many of you speak with tongues. I, I hope that many of you in your quiet place or when you're walking and communing with the Lord, you speak with another tongue. Um, You know, for five minutes, three minutes, two minutes, ten minutes. And Paul will tell you that this gift has a great, wonderful use, a purpose. he, He will tell us that You know, verse 2 of chapter 14, he will tell us that he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God, for no one understands him. However, in the spirit, he speaks mysteries, mysteries. In the spirit, he speaks mysteries, you know. He doesn't speak to men, he speaks to God. Uh, No one understands him. Men won't understand him. I could speak to you in tongues right now, but you wouldn't understand what I was saying, neither would I. Though occasionally you might pick out a word, that you would understand. Um, But what profit would it give to you? It would profit my spirit, my inner man. It would relieve me momentarily from the dominance of my mind. One of the purposes of the gift of tongues is for you to express beyond intelligibility, the control of the mind. You would be amazed how we are controlled by our thinking. And the church becomes controlled by men's thinking. 
the way they think, the way you think, the way we think. And you, you check me out on this, you see, about, you know, our minds consistently rob us of the enjoyment of this moment. Because in our thinking, you know, we're either thinking of the past, things that happened in the past, or we're thinking in the future of plans for tomorrow. What are we going to do tomorrow? I'll do my exercise tomorrow. Then I'll do this tomorrow. And then I'll catch up with emails tomorrow. And, you know, and then I'll do the other tomorrow. And lo and behold, it might even be happening to some of you now <laughs> that you've, you've zoned me out. <laughs> and you're thinking, because something's come impinging on your mind. Oh, oh, got to do that, you see. And thus is the robbery that takes place of now, now, today, hear his voice. Now is the day of salvation, 2 Corinthians 5. Now is the day. You know, now, now, now. Great, isn't it? You know, and part of the blessed, blessed secrets of, uh, of living in the now moment is spontaneity. This is part of my wife's genius, by the way. Uh, she is an intensely spontaneous lady. Amen. And now she's getting embarrassed if she ever gets embarrassed. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's good. You see, now, now. is the, And, of course, part of the use of the gift of tongues for us as individuals is that it for a while looses us. It takes us beyond mind. And uh, <clears throat> it's wonderful. In the spirit, he speaks mysteries. Now, of course, Paul <clears throat> is going to be writing uh, verse 9 of chapter 14. I'm in now. Unless you utter by the tongue words easy to understand, how will it be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air. He's longing that they will speak. And he uses this word, doesn't he, again and again. Prophesy. Prophecy. You know, verse 1, chapter 14. Pursue love, desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Three verbs, pursue, desire, prophesy. Very important that we grasp you know that if I'm to be someone who's in the fullness of the Lord's house, 
I must be a man who is pursuing love. And Paul has just been talking, hasn't he, in the 13th chapter, you know, of loveless service. Those first three verses of chapter 13, loveless gifts, loveless knowledge, loveless, loveless mysteries, loveless faith. Loveless nothing, he says. Loveless tongues. Loveless giving. Bestow all my goods to feed the poor. And though I give my body to be burned, isn't that remarkable? Loveless martyrdom. And I have no love. It profits me nothing. Might do a little bit of good for someone else. But it profits me nothing. That's why Paul begins chapter 14 with the word pursue love. That's first. But with the pursuing, desire spirituals. Desire Nevmatikos, spirituals, desire the things that the spirit gives. And I tell you, you can't have the things that the spirit, the Holy Spirit gives unless you are someone whose spirit is regenerate and who is in the communion of the spirit walking in the spirit living in the spirit where your mind is a servant of the spirit and your affections and your emotions you know you can't have the you these gifts they won't function dear paul he was not unfamiliar he had experienced times of supernatural faith, the gift of faith, as well as saving faith working in him. There had been occasions, no doubt, where supernatural endowment of faith had come to him so that he had been able, he believed the thing. Uh, and he found faith and he didn't strain and strive and that which was impossible became possible dear abraham who mark was talking anyway it was this afternoon wasn't it abraham was mentioned this afternoon and abraham received faith at 99 years old he received faith. It was miraculous. It was a gift of faith. And he was 99. And think of it. And his dear wife, after her initial um, negativity and laughter and, you know, uh, shall she that's old, you know, 
blah, blah, dear Sarah. She got through that and she came to a time of faith and the impossible came. Are we understanding what took place in these old, old people? And glorious, really. It came of faith. You've seen how Paul knew things like this. He, he'd, he'd moved in what we call all these gifts and hardly ever realized it. He spoke with tongues. He prophesied. He had visions. He had revelations. He discerned spirits. He knew the moment when, you know, do you remember the story in Philippi? When Paul was moving along, you know, with Silas to and from the little meetings with those ladies, you know, by the riverside, and there was this girl who started, you can read it in Acts 16, you know, the girl started saying to everybody, listen to these men, they're the servants of the living God, do you, you remember? And there came that time where, where Paul discerned the spirit. And there was this quickening within him that it was time and he turned and he rebuked and power met power, the power of God in Paul, not a moment too early, not a moment too late, met the power in that woman, and the demon fled. And it was a power confrontation. Paul wasn't doing it every day, and he walked to and from the meeting, allowing her to do her thing, and all of these things have a bearing on ministry. Those of you who uh, from time to time have realized that you are facing something more than a human spirit, that you are facing an oppressive spirit, uh, a spirit that is indwelling somebody who don't rush to do something about it straight away and wade in and things like that you await that discernment and that moment where it is time to turn and and deal with that spirit that's in that person where the power of god's spirit rises in you and you know a measure of understanding and discrimination and you are able to stand against that spirit without much drama, though there may be some drama in the response of the persons. There have been times, you know, one of the signs of the church's weaknesses in these days is the absence of deliverance ministry. I'll say that to you. One of the signs of the church's weakness, the absence of discernment, and the, is, is the absence of deliverance. For there are spirits masquerading, and there are people oppressed, and there are people who need healing. 
we need these gifts and discernment of spirits you know it's one of the gifts in the list here i'm just moving along through these things i'm throwing these things out to us as part of the largeness of your house the fullness of your house there needs to be deliverance in the house of the lord there are sicknesses you know uh, and remember, pursue love, and, and you, you must desire these gifts. Desire that from time to time there will be miraculous healings in in your church. You know, have you seen such things where, you know, the Lord just steps in and prayer of faith is made and it's not us trying to drum up the faith but it itself is a charism that God gives at that time for that particular thing and you can move through and you know in this list this list that Paul mentions in chapter 12 I'm back there where Paul uh, chapter 12 and he mentions here in 10 to another he gives discernings of spirits discernings of spirits some translations say distinguishing spirits but distinguishing both words are in the plural discernings of spirits to begin to understand where a person is i i think of a, a conference in a certain place and uh that is yearly and there is a lady and sometimes oh dear you know she'll bring a tongue in the meeting that is for interpretation she gets she shakes a bit and uh, she gets a little emotional as she delivers this tongue and i've been told off after the meeting by some of the men why did you allow her to do it you know why don't you stop her and so on and because the tongue is duly interpreted edifyingly by someone, so what she said is interpreted, the general spirit of it is interpreted, and we're all edified. Though, to listen to her, the way she delivers it, and if you open your eyes and look at her, you're a bit, a bit worried by her um, shaking and so on. And I've said to one or two of the brothers, what was offending you? Was it her spirit? Was it the words? Or was it the gesticulations, the emotion, the shakings? You see, and they think a minute, and then they turn it back on me and say, well, what do you think, Bernard, you see? And I say to them, that sister learned bad habits in her church. 
that defile the gift that she's got. Defile it in the manner of presentation. What I was doing there with hardly realizing it, I was listening to her spirit, not particularly preoccupied with her emotion or her shakings. Are you understanding? Discernment of a person's spirit. Where's she coming from? Is her spirit all wrong? You know, these things are very important because discernment of spirits, discernments of spirits is not just to do with things evil. You know, isn't it wonderful that we are spirits? You know, and the church is first and foremost spiritual made up of an assemblage of spirits, human spirits regenerated by God, residing in bodies, being living souls in those bodies. Temples of the Holy Ghost, joined together like a body, knit together, each member having a part, a place in the body, each one gifted. I'm talking about such a beautiful ideal. I'm talking about the fullness of his house. Something that on occasions, if you live to see it, you give glory to God will you? I can only speak of these things the way I do because I have been privileged for a while to see it. And I know it exists. And I know that every meeting is filled with the thrill of his ministry. Oh, where every meeting is fresh. And no two are ever alike. Where things spring up from the fountain of life. Who is our God? Ah, oh, where sometimes healings take place by the same spirit. You know, we will never know these things unless we begin to pursue love and desire spirituals. Don't close them out. Don't be your version of a Corinthian who is just, you, you won't be a, a rabid tongue speaker. Uh, you may be someone who just wants to sing, sing, sing. Or praise, praise, praise. Or preach, 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 or you know what I mean, or prayer book, prayer book, prayer book. Am I making sense? Not if I'm making sense. Enter into the largenesses. Pursue love and 
desire. The actual old version, the old King James says, covet, covet, which gives a certain connotation, doesn't it? You know, um, you see, those of us who are older, oh, Lord, make me fuller in the fullness of your house, enrich the giftings that you've given me. If it pleases you, add to them. I am open to them. You know, we close down on God. We close down. We close down. And, um, you know, when Paul... Uh, writes these things. There's this, you know, we could stop on every verse. They're beautiful, really, as he's correcting lovingly. <clears throat> he says, verse 14, oh, you Corinthians, he says, in fact, the body is not one member. It's not just tongues, tongues, tongues. It's not one member, but many, many. It's not a place just for the experts out the front. You know, uh, God, verse 18, chapter 12, has set the members. Now, this includes, don't just interpret the word members as individuals. He's also talking about a body of gifts. He's talking about a body of gifts. God has set the members, each one of them, in the body, just as he pleased. Just as he pleased. He pleased. I mean, uh, Mark was speaking this afternoon and he was talking about that when the fire came down, in Solomon's temple, you remember, and all the sacrifices. And isn't it wonderful that the the sacrifices led to the fire coming down and the fire coming down led to more sacrifices? That's how it was. And, you know, it went on for days. They were in a fullness in those days, for sure, in Solomon's temple. Delightful, wonderful, powerful days. But you know, Solomon had prayed for wisdom. He'd prayed to exceed in things that were the higher gifts. So in your seeking and in your pursuing, Paul does the same, doesn't he? There are, there are covet the best gifts. There are things in the body. Now, here's my physical body. I have a friend uh, whose name is Larry. And Larry, when he was a young man, was playing rugby. And he was just a boy, I think. And he was injured on the rugby field and lost one of his kidneys as a result. But he's still got another one. That The way the body is, it can compensate. Amen? Is that right? 
I think of another friend of mine who only has one lung, the other one compensating. You understand? But you haven't got two hearts. Now I can think of another person who is an artificer, a very skilled man with his hands. He makes beautiful models of wood and he sells them. He's only got one hand. However does he do that? You see, well, he does it. He's still able, but if he lost both hands. Now, it's like that with the body of the church. There are some things you can do without and still live. The church can still live. There are certain gifts. There are certain functions. But there are some things you can't do without. And that's what Paul's talking about in chapter 13. You can't do without the love, the heart of everything. And there are certain gifts and ministries you can't do without. And the church cannot be healthy where there is not vision prophetic vision whether it comes through in preaching or by spontaneous words in the church but the church cannot be healthy and it cannot go forward and it cannot be built up without the gift of prophetic utterance it must come sometimes it may come through the preaching. Someone like A.W. Tozer, in his teaching, was prophetic, was giving an impartation. He was not just simply educating minds. Prophetic ministry does not simply educate the mind. It stirs the inner spirit. It is from spirit to spirit. It has the marks of spontaneity about it. Those of you who want to know something of the mechanics of the working of the gift, and if I say this to you, you do not have to be someone who speaks in tongues first and then graduates to prophecy. There's no graduation in these things. There are those who moved into the prophetic first, and the mechanics of it are like this. Take someone, uh, Mark will excuse me mentioning him or, or let's mention another Mark in the corner on my screen, Mark Shoesmith. You know, Mark Shoesmith has a reservoir of truth. Things that the Lord has shown him. Oh, let's, let's talk about... Um, <clears throat> Uh, Val, 
the wife of John, if I may mention her. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's a very wonderful thing to have a growing reservoir of truth, the water of life, the words of truth, understanding of God, some knowledge of the scripture, the word of God. And it's wonderful to be like that. And with that, to be a person who day by day, your spirit is vivacious and vibrant in the fellowship of God's spirit. And if you're like that, you will experience this. From time to time, that blessed Holy Spirit in you, in fellowship with your spirit, will bring up to your consciousness a verse of scripture that's been down there in the reservoir. A thought. It will come with vibrancy, with freshness to you. As though you'd never quite seen it that way before. And you muse on it for five minutes or maybe a day it stays with you. The beginnings of prophetic utterance. If you were in a place where you could give utterance to it to some other person. You might meet someone that day and you happen to say to them, do you know, today, do you know, that verse of scripture, that phrase came quickeningly up into my consciousness. And I just want to share it with you. And you share it with them. And it edifies them. That's the beginnings of the prophetic. Now translate that into a meeting where you're gathered together and the same thing happens. And you're sitting there in the meeting and the Lord quickens in you as he did for me this afternoon. He quickened to me up. From the deeps of me came uh, Genesis, the story of Abraham sitting in the tent door in the heat of the day. And up it rose and I read the scripture. And then as I finished reading the scripture, I began to prophesy a little around the basis of that that had occurred where God came to Abraham. Abraham was awake, alive, quickened, not affected by the heat of the day. Bill prayed out something very edifying and he, he prayed out at the end that Abraham had got up when he saw God coming. He ran. A 99-year-old running. Come, come, come. Come, come. And uh, Abraham fed him. And so there was set before us by the Spirit things that God wanted to say to us. How did it work in me? 
up from the reservoir, something was quickened by the spirit. And sometimes as you begin to deliver that which comes up from the reservoir, the spirit adds to that things that you had never thought of before. Things that there had been no intention to say. Things specific, things definite. You know, it's wonderful to taste a little of this spontaneity, but we we have to understand that such, and this isn't all to do with foretelling. You see, one of the things that people think about they think it's all foretelling, foretelling, foretelling. No, it's not. If you look in the in the prophets of the Old Testament, they are speaking in the now moment. And sometimes they're referring back to things of the then moment, things that happened in Israel's history. And they are applying things in the now moment, in the spontaneous utterance of the spirit, and then sometimes moving into the future moment where, as Mark uh, spoke today from the chapter in uh, 2 Chronicles, you know, the fire had came, come down and and God spoke prophetically, didn't he? You know, and he said, if my people will humble themselves and pray. You remember, you remember it? You, it's one of those famous, famous verses. It was prophetic. It was God speaking, wasn't it? Oh, covet, covet, especially that you may prophesy. Oh, it's wonderful to, you know, those of you who preach and speak, develop your communion with the Holy Ghost and confidence that you can get to that place where you can trust yourself to utter things outside the parameters of your notes. You know, for there will be times when God will want you to, because he so wants to edify, to build up. You know, that verse is in, 2 Chronicles 7, isn't it? And uh, they offered a whole new, you know, can, did you get that, by the way? Let me say it again. Sacrifices preceded the fire. Obedience preceded the fire. Solomon built according to the pattern given to David, his father, Amen. You know that Jesus is the great son who came from the father and he did everything he built according to the pattern the father had given him. Amen. And the fire came down at Pentecost. And when the fire came down at Pentecost, it led to a host of 120 sacrifices. And then 
3,000 more sacrifices. Am I making sense? You know, these are the things that the fire of God leads to, sacrificial living. And can I ask you, everyone, have you sat looking at one of those old-fashioned electric fires? Any of you remember the old electric fires? Weren't they exciting, eh? Weren't they fantastic? Those bars, you know. Oh, dear, it's hot at least, you know. (laughs) But there were no flames or anything. And how many of you sat, as I did in Rora House on uh, Friday morning, looking at the fire in the lounge and the exciting leaping of the flames? Jesse came in to feed the fire. Malcolm and I were sitting there fellowshipping for a couple of hours. And that which was dull, you know, and warm, the woods took and it's, it's alive. They were alive on the Pentecostal day. Peter prophesied. They all did. Am I right? They spoke in tongues, and on this occasion, it uh, was different because, of course, people from all around the then known world could hear these people talking the wonderful works of God. Everything, it was flames leaping. (laughs) You know, it's all spontaneous. You look at a fire and... I mean, some of you have done it, you know. I mean, we haven't got a fire here. What have we got? We've got a boiler that heats the radiators. And thankfully, we're in 22 degrees here in the house. But, um, you know, to sit and look at a fire, and it's never identical. The flames don't leap identically. This is, this is the life, brothers and sisters. <laughs> In, in it, that he's talking about and you know the priests attended to to everything and Solomon consecrated the middle of the court it's tremendous really and uh, you know how it, it was that the Lord spoke you know spoke into Solomon's heart If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin and heal their land. You know, when I think of these things, when I think of prophetic ministry, when I think of those Old Testament prophets flaming, I think of dear hypersensitive Jeremiah the prophet. I think of him, the teary man, the man who didn't want to get involved, the man who grieved over the then church of the day in Jerusalem. And I think of him 
and of his conversations with God. <laughs> you know, his complaints of God, oh, this, that, and the other. And he, he wanted to give up and, you know, give it all up. Can't give it all up, you know. You can't even. How are you going to run with the horses, Jeremiah? Come on, get on. <laughs> you know, get. Come on, Jeremiah. And then he he says these words: "Your word was like a fire in my bones. They were trying to close me down. Your word was like a fire in my bones." Now I just spotted the time. <clears throat> And uh, so I've been going an hour and ten, so I ought to stop. And we can return to these things. We can return. We must return. We must get in to the largeness of God's heart. We we must enter in, because Paul says to them this. He says, "You may all prophesy." You may all prophesy, one by one. You know, that includes ladies. That's important, we grasp. However you interpret chapter 14, toward the end of the chapter, verse 34 and all those things, you must understand, you must interpret it first in terms of chapter 11. Verse 5 has ladies praying and prophesying. Chapter 11, verse 5, they're active, they're participating. Amen, amen, amen. They're praying, they're prophesying, and in fact they're doing much more than that. If they want to. It's wonderful, isn't it? Are we seeing something? Are we seeing something of the fullness? You know, <clears throat> Paul tells us a great secret in chapter chapter 6 of the second letter to the Corinthians. It, it is a great secret. Um, you know, in the sixth chapter, verse 11 of the second letter, It'll never happen to you, brothers and sisters, unless your heart is wide open. See that at the end of verse 11 of chapter 6? Oh, Corinthians, we've spoken openly to you. Our heart is wide open. I love this. Do you know, you know why his heart was wide open, don't you? Does everybody know why his heart was wide open? Well, 
The answer is in chapter 3 of the second letter. At the end, verse 18, because he had an unveiled face. He had an unveiled face, beholding as in the mirror the glory of the Lord. Unveiled, the face of your heart's got to be unveiled to God first. And being unveiled to God, oh God, yes, oh yes, yes Lord, burn me up, yes Lord. Deal with me. Yes, Lord, have your way utterly. No hiding. I'm not going to hide. You know, he had an unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord. And he couldn't hold back. He couldn't hold back his heart. Real ministry is not giving a word. Real ministry is not giving a sermon. Real ministry. Is not saying, bless you, bless you. Real ministry is giving your heart. That's what it's all about. God so loved the world. That's what God was working in dear Jeremiah. That's what God was working in Hosea. That's what work God was working in Ezekiel. That's what God was working in them all in dear Moses. Abraham, he was getting their hearts and they gave their hearts. Nowadays, we live in a day of masks. <laughs> I didn't mean, you know, I'm not, you know, we live in a day of, you know, the ministerial mask, the pastor's mask, you know, that kind of thing. You know, I have listened to a few messages of Martin Lloyd-Jones. Now, he's Welsh and so on. And we can say the Welsh are a bit emotional. But I know that there is a time when you listen to Martin Lloyd-Jones after about 10 minutes. You can hear his heart coming out of his mouth. can hear his heart. He's not giving you a sermon. He's giving you his flesh. Hallelujah. He's not giving you a doctrine, a system, a belief system. <laughs> He's giving you himself. That's what the gifts are. And you and I become more and more efficient in these things, we ourselves will become gifts. So the gift of an apostle, a man's turned into a gift. He's, he's not using gifts. He doesn't have gifts. He is a gift. He's become a gift. You become a gift. Oh, I think of our Polish brothers and sisters, Lublin and Bielsko and Warsaw and uh, Cheshin and all these different places. 
oh, there are some gifts there. I think of my brother Piotr, who's, I don't know whether he's still with us or he's had to go. Um, but <coughs> he's a great gift to the church. What a gift Piotr and Durokkar are. They're such gifts. They're, their house is a gift. You know, their, their, their rooms are a gift, not just to us, but to whosoever comes. You know, God has given them a facility and a gift, 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 gift. Everything becomes a gift. Isn't it wonderful how God works? And so everything changes, you see. And you know this great secret. Give, and it shall be given unto you. It will. <laughs> That's how it multiplies. Give. Yeah, I can remember the first time in one of our meetings when we were all beginners in the gifts of the Spirit. I can remember clearly and we wanted to obey the scripture and someone gave a tongue, a message in tongues. They spoke, maybe it was four minutes. And I knew exactly what I have described to you. Up from my depths from the reservoir came a phrase or two and I knew it was the interpretation. But I was absolutely scared out of my wits. And do you know, we sat there an hour waiting. <coughs> In silence, we just sat there waiting. We didn't know what to do. We weren't supposed to have a tongue without an interpretation. The interpretation had not come because Bernard was disobedient. And we left that meeting having no edification from the interpretation of the tongue. But I learned by it. Went home sad of heart like we all did. So the next time it happened, falteringly, I began to speak. And thus you learn, very slowly. And uh, <laughs> oh, there's a fullness for us all. There's a fullness for us all. Hallelujah. And I'm just still here in chapter 6 of 2 Corinthians after chapter 3. So I'll finish with a verse in chapter 7. Uh, Paul has just written in chapter 6, verse 17. Oh, sorry. Verse 16. I will dwell in them. And walk among them. I will be their God. And they shall be my people. Don't you want God to walk up and down among us? I think of our little meeting 
in uh, lustly today in that Anglican church. Oh, Lord, you're in the midst of us. Walk up and down among us. Yes, let the little children know that, God, you are there. Let there be troubled minds healed. Work your ministries among us. Send your prophecies. Send your words from the scripture. Send the laying on of hands. Discern spirits. Do your work, Lord. Let everyone be edified. Let everyone be built up. Let everyone be strengthened. And then Paul writes in chapter 7, Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let's cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Open your hearts to us. Open your hearts. That's what he says. Open your hearts to us. You you realize how wondrously Jesus opened his heart in his ministry. And they opened to him. Mary Magdalene. Oh, they opened their hearts to him. Openness begot openness, begot openness, begot openness. Amen. So that's enough for tonight. Hallelujah. May you be quickened by these things, my brothers and sisters. May in the privates of your life, you know, may from that reservoir, that blessed spirit quicken words to you. And lead you to someone that you can just whisper it to. And uh, I'll tell you, chain reaction. Chain reaction. That's the way it works. It unlocks another and another and another. And we begin to taste the delights of his house. Amen. Thank you, Mark. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Bernard. Uh, bless you. We've had a had a feast and hear something of the and seeing something of the the fullness. And I don't. I'm sure many of us just want to say Amen, and we want to we want to live in the fullness of your house, Lord. And uh, yes, Amen. Um, I, I think what we'll do. I know that. Um, one of the brothers there had a question he wants to ask, so uh, we'll make a little space for that. But why don't, why don't maybe if one or two just pray first in in response to what we've heard, and then if some want to disappear, that would be fine. Um, and uh, if others want to loiter and linger and, and have a little Q and A set, you know, one or two questions, if that's okay, Bernard. Yeah, sure. sure. Uh, but, but why don't we just respond together and uh, just ask one or two to. Um, 
to pray and to uh, put into words our, our hearts in response to what we've heard uh, together this evening. Yes, Father. 